0: Hey everybody, welcome to Chasing the Hook, Ironworker Stories and more, the podcast. The only podcast where you'll hear the stories of the union ironworkers. What's up brothers and sisters, so glad to be back, putting out a new episode for everybody to enjoy. Um, so on this one we got brother Robert Heppler, book number eight five eight three seven eight, first indentured in 1971. Uh, I remember seeing Hap when I was a first-year apprentice going to union meetings. Uh, he's just this big stature guy, and he always wears this uh, old-school hat um, and just always engaged. So he always kind of stood out uh, every time I'd go to a union meeting. So, But uh, I was super grateful that he was able to find time. Uh, we did this interview in two days. Um, one of them was on the phone, and then the other one was in person. So there, you can definitely tell the audio uh, differences, so just be aware of that uh but on top of that i just want to say thank you to everybody for the support truly amazing i love it um i i love putting out instagram reels i just it's just something i love doing um so i will continue to do that but uh with that being said brothers and sisters i hope you enjoy this one and be safe
1: okay my name is robert hoppola i go by half for short most everybody knows me that Actually, it's a Finnish name, Hapala, got Americanized to Hapala, and that's where the Hap comes for short. Through my dad, my uncle, and then myself. Book number is 858-378. I was initiated in February of 1971. I worked a couple of years on permit before that.
0: So just a quick question fun. on that, brother. How, how did you find yourself uh, getting into the ironworkers?
1: Well, a summer job in 1968, after my first year of college at the University of San Francisco, my old man was superintendent for Thomas Construction. They were finishing Interstate 5 in Northern California. Okay. From Weed to Wyreka to the Oregon border. And that Klamath River Bridge, I got on permit through uh, Goby Rector. Derwin Warren was the foreman. I was on permit out of 118 Sacramento. We busted Rod's bridge piers, bridge deck, stem wall, the whole Klamath River Bridge, Interstate 5. That was my rude wow. awakening to busted rods working on.
0: So did that? Was that just a huge shocker, brother Hap? When you showed up to the job site that day, or for that first week, what was that like?
1: Yeah, I was brand new to me. I had no idea what an ironworker even was. Uh, being my old man was running that job, he just had to be talking to Derwin, Hey, did he help and got me on permit wow. as an ironworker. That long... was that was the first shot. Two men on sixty foot number eleven bars all day long for a couple of weeks straight, and plus. You know, bent over time so that was uh, a rude awakening to a lot of hard work
0: I can I can only I can only imagine what that was like um, but yeah, obviously you stuck you stuck with it and uh, obviously you uh, you found you you, you I, I would assume that you uh, found enjoyment you're making a decent wage or for somebody at, at your age you're making a decent wage I'm assuming correct
1: yeah, from that summer job, I still continued on college. I was two more years at Oregon State. See, summer 69, I worked for Kiwit on the Creek Bridge out of Yakima. And then 70, I had changed majors three times in three years of college, and I didn't really know what the hell I wanted to do. So I got on permit at a local 29, summer of 70, and I worked for Mercer Busted Rods on the west side of Fremont Bridge. Okay. On that job, my old man was superintendent for Anderson Hannon. And I got an apprenticeship that summer, you know, on permit. Actually, you know, got indentured in February seventy one, but that was uh, when I figured, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick it out working iron. I think after that uh, summer that fall, my first structural job was up the Columbia River. they were building the Harvey aluminum plant on the Golden Dale side at the John Day Dam and so that was a uh, first structural job there, 70, 71.
0: Just a quick question uh, about uh, the Fremont Bridge, Hap. What was that like, busting rods? I mean, uh, obviously you were on the structural guys as well. Was that what was that what was that job site like? I mean, obviously it was it was massive, but what was your experience on that project?
1: It was busting rods, you know. Same thing was uh, bridge deck, stem walls, heavy iron in the beams across. You know, fourteen iron, eighteen iron, and uh, there was a different contractor for the west side and the east side, and then the two piers on the east and west side were a different contractor, and the center span was a different contractor. They were building the structural center span on barges down on Swan Island, and then they were going to barge that up the river and then lift that whole center span up into place in one lift. That was the heaviest lift in the world when it was done.
0: Did you get to see that, Brother Hap, when they did that? No, I
1: got drafted into the Army Uh in May of 71, so that's when I uh, went to Fort Ord, basic training and advanced infantry training and then off of Vietnam. So I missed that center lift, but I have all the information, in the newspaper clippings of it from my old man, that the iron workers were on that center span and pictures of it.
0: Did you, uh, did you happen to meet uh brother, John O'Halloran,
1: um, at that time, Hap? I think I met John O'Halloran first when, uh, I started going to, uh, union meetings. The, he was already retired out as business agent. Okay. But then, uh, when I completed the apprenticeship, after I got out of Vietnam, his uh, brother, Red O'Hallor, was an instructor. Okay. Red O'Hallor and Ted Westwood were instructors for the apprenticeship when we finished up. Then I came in the apprenticeship, 71, I was came in about time with Lonnie Hadia and uh, Mike Keeley. And then when I got out of Vietnam, finished up the apprenticeship, I was with Lonnie Hadia, Danny Ingersoll, Randy Guillory, Dale Ilg, Jeff Stream. So it was a different crew. Start and finish, and I missed out on a lot of the Alaska pipeline work because I had to finish that apprenticeship seventy three or seventy five. Some of the other guys that went up on the pipeline, different jobs up there.
0: What was your What was the apprenticeship like for you, Hap? Was it like a, you know I've talked to some of the older or some of the retirees, of local time twenty nine. Um, some of them said that they could they were doing a mail correspondence just because they were working out of town. Was that how did your apprenticeship work?
1: When I started. In 7071, we had to come into town twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, to go to class. So that was a, quite a commute from Goldendale to the Plant. I'd drive out Monday morning to work, spend the night out in the Dalles, come in Tuesday night, go to class, go back out Wednesday morning to work, back in Thursday night to class, back out Friday morning to work, and then back home for the weekend. Wow. So that was a lot of commuting. Did and you when ever, I got out of Vietnam, uh, we were the first class that started doing it eight hours a day for a month straight. Uh, and that took care of all your school just in that one month.
0: Uh, okay. We were doing
1: a lot of it with Portland Community College, and then we had a building on West Burnside. So that was a lot easier doing it a month straight for eight hours a day than it was that twice a week. That was pretty tough if you were out of town.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's That's what I've heard. Um, do yeah. you do you remember who your uh, who the apprenticeship coordinator or who was running the apprenticeship or your instructor was Hap?
1: Ray Wilson was when I started.
0: Uh Ray Wilson. Okay.
1: And then when I got out of Vietnam, like I say, Red O'Halloran Okay. And Ted West were their instructors. So and then I believe it was uh John Woolley was the coordinator.
0: So when you uh so you were working out in Goldendale Happening, you know, you said that was your uh, one of your first structural jobs, or one—it was your first structural yeah, job. Yeah,
1: that was the first structural job.
0: What? What uh, was it? Just a typical uh, JIW call, or did, or did you call, or did you go out for a welder, or what? What did you start I was doing? An
1: apprentice. Then. I, was, I ah. was an apprentice.
0: Okay, so you were just punking stuff around for the journeyman. So, kind of, what yeah, was we that like for you? Bottom
1: lines, I was working for Harder Mechanical. Billy Mitchell was steward, and uh, you know there were a lot of different facets of the trade. There, were busted rods. Hooking on, bolting up, plumbing up, we were working on the aluminum pot lines harder. And there's a lot of variety, a lot of good variety of working iron there. Did and then yeah, you know, in '81 they added on to that aluminum plant. I was on that again ten years later when the different aluminum company owned it, but we added on to that same aluminum plant. And since then it's been demolished and it's gone now. But
0: yeah, was it? Uh, I I'd spoken to uh, journeyman, Bill Harrington. Wasn't he? Was he on that project by chance when you were there? Yeah. Was he?
1: Yep, yeah. Bill and I worked together and we hunted some birds out there together out in Rufus area and Biggs. Yeah, I worked with uh, Harrington on a couple, three different jobs.
0: So, did you kind of find yourself working out of town quite a bit, Hap, or did you uh, get on some of those high rises in Portland uh, in the mid-70s and that kind of time?
1: Yeah, I worked on uh, Thousand Broadway, on Dome on the top of that. I welded, going up, welded the Dome on the top. Uh, Coin Tower downtown, did the four frames on top that Formed the pyramid on top, welded those up, and worked out of town a lot because I like working out of town. It was hard on relationships with women; they didn't much care for. But I never had a burning desire to have a wife and kids, so I boomed out. Worked on the Fifth turbine and Brownlee Dam. Worked in Durkee a Cement Plant a couple years. Town jobs suited me just fine. You know, down to Eugene or here and there and around and about. And I didn't mind working out of town or working a swing shift or. A graveyard shift at all that's who to me just fine a lot of guys wanted to stick around town and do their day shifts yeah yeah it didn't matter to me i enjoyed seeing different scenery in eastern oregon
0: yeah i i always i always enjoyed going out there happy it was just a it was just a different type of work and i i don't know it just uh I, it really suited me yeah. everything i've kind of just asked around about you you know you you primarily welded in your career is that kind of what you uh what you wanted to do or did you just kind of you were just whatever the call there was that's what you took or did you prefer to weld
1: took any kind of call you know in the first few years you know i think i had taken some welding in high school and took a welding and forging class in college at oregon state but yeah when i started out i busted rods plumbed up bolted up hooked on ornamental miscellaneous and then i got into welding probably more so in the 80s, and then uh, the last 20 years, I pretty much took welding calls. I mean, I liked welding, and a lot of guys didn't like it, but I took pride in putting in good welds, you know, and I mean, it's, I don't know, it kind of followed me, you know, guys knew the quality of my work.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, I, I stuck with it. I loved, I loved the weld, you know, and I told a lot of guys, well, hey, you know, shots on how to run 232 wire. I said, appearance of a weld makes a lot of difference to an inspector, not just because it's solid, but if it looks good, too, I mean, that makes a difference with an inspector.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, so then, uh, you know, I just think well, that's kind of an ethical deal to me. You know, your quality of your work follows you. So I never was out of work unless I wanted to be. And I told a lot of young guys the well, way You get every certification you can in all positions, you will never be out of work as a welder unless you want to be out of work.
0: I 100% agree with you, Hap. Um, um, I still try to tell the, the younger generation that same thing. Um, if you're a hand, you'll never be out of work. When you got, uh, after you completed that first phase of that uh, um, uh, that aluminum plat, amp, you know, you said you went into Portland and stuff. Like, did you just typically stay in Oregon? Did you ever find yourself working maybe down in California? Or, um, how was that? How was your booming out uh, other than just going to, like, Eastern Oregon? Is that where you primarily went?
1: Yeah, I pretty much stayed, still you know, Northern California from Klamath River job. Oregon, Eastern Oregon, Washington. When work was tough in the early 80s, when Reagan was president, a lot of guys boomed out to New York and L.A. But you had to pay pretty high rents there, and you couldn't really save any money to come home. So you're just, you know, mainly just doing for wages, and you'd, uh, it cost you a lot. So in those years, you know, you might be working two and a half, three months a year out of local 29 and do something else on the side. You know, I'd do some welding for friends or some farmer or whatever, you know, some little project here and there for a little extra money. But pretty much, yeah, I stuck around the northwest, Oregon, Washington, like say, Snake River's part Idaho. There was enough work around there that pretty much kept me busy for 35 years.
0: I've talked to several people about that in the early 80s. A lot of them, like you said, went back east. And then, uh, you know, talking to Brother Ronnie McDowell, you know, he said that quite a few uh, members of Local 29 went down to uh, the Golden Gate and was working on that.
1: Yeah, a lot of people were on the Golden Gate Bridge. A lot of the local hands are in 377. They didn't want to deal with the fog and the mist and the rain. You know, and 29 hands, we're, we're kind of used to that weather. Yep. So there were a lot of 29 hands on that Golden Gate Bridge when they redecked that. So there a little bit different attitude on the weather from guys from the Northwest, from the, the local hands there, Oakland and San Francisco. And there was always a lot of work in L.A., even when Reaganomics kind of hammered the unions there. So there was plenty of work in L.A. and New York City. Yeah, a lot of guys did that, but, yeah, you just— you couldn't save any money really yeah. cost you too much rent
0: yeah exactly did you like in those earlier? years this uh, question i forgot to ask you at the beginning there hap, did did you have any uh like mentors that kind of like you that you worked with that you really enjoyed you know working with them and they were providing you with the, uh you know good knowledge
1: uh not in particular you know i mean i just worked out of the hall whoever you know job here job there they all seem to be fine you know different contractors You know, I never drug up on a job. Oh, I'm going to finish it or, you know, take a layoff. So even if a lousy contractor, lousy guy, or whatever, I'd finish the job.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because you probably worked with, like, you know, uh, the likes of, like, Danny Kyle. Did did you ever get to work with Danny?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I worked with him for Refa, and then uh, he was uh, running the Raisin Gang and Durkey at the cement plant. I was welding over there, but Danny ran the Raisin Gang, and different guys were bolting up, and there were hoppers, chutes, Conveyors, yeah. there was a lot of variety of work on that cement plant. I was iron worker steward on her, on that job. Gotcha. And then I worked with Kyle on a couple free out of the jobs. I think the Tootle River Bridge, we were on the same job after St. Helens blew off. We beefed up the Tootle River Bridge on the freeway.
0: How was it uh redoing that Tootle Bridge, uh, Tutel, uh River Bridge? What was that like after the, the uh Saint Helens eruption? Like what was like the devastation? Was it really bad in that area? A lot of a lot of
1: mud came down the river, and a lot of drag lines were working, clearing the mud out. It didn't hurt that bridge, but we were beefing it up with the plumb post on the arch down to the deck and also some reinforcement underneath to the abutments. So in case a mud flow came down that again, the bridge wouldn't come off the abutments and down the river. So basically, we're just beefing it up to maintain that bridge on that position on the freeway which nothing ever happened again to it, but that's what we did there, just strengthened that. During that time, other guys were upstream later a couple of years building a lot of new bridges going up to St. Helens.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, Hap. What was like after the, the eruption? I, I'm assuming that there was quite a bit of destruction on the infrastructure and, and local 29 members had to go in and, um, and rebuild a lot of those bridges, right?
1: Yeah, there was like 13, 14 bridges from Castle Rock all the way up to Johnston Ridge, on St. Helens, the viewpoint now. There's a lot of bridges up that road. And it was you know, later years after the volcano was done popping off that they started to do that and finished it. Right at at the time that it blew off, that's when we worked on that freeway bridge. And then there was mud all the way down to Kelso and Longview, Cowlitz River, Tudor River, into the Columbia. So there was a lot of work on the dikes and drag lines clearing out the river flow there just to kind of, because of all the ash. Yeah. yeah, that's. I don't think there there weren't a whole lot of bridge jobs going on. Nothing got destroyed downstream there. Okay. The stuff upstream from Castle Rock, yeah, it was all wiped out. So it's pretty good scenery going up there, and it's a good road now. I mean, you get a damn good view of a lot of variety of bridges, and there's one turnout for a good-sized structural bridge that they don't really give Iron Worker Local 29 credit, but I mean, there's some pictures of it as they were erecting it on the turn on the viewpoint of that bridge. Claire Hugh and uh, Edwards, they worked on that. They connected, and a lot of other guys worked on that. And they took shuttle bus up from Castle Rock up to do that bridge. Other ones were some girder spans and some concrete spans. That's the main structural bridge there. That's a good viewpoint. A whole lot better viewpoint, you know, between Carson and Randall. That road's pretty rough getting through there on the east side of St. Helens. Well, on the west side out of Castle Rock, that's a good variety of bridges and views there.
0: Yeah, that's a. I definitely know what you're talking about. That's a. That's a beautiful up there, Hap. You just talked You just mentioned about uh, Brother Claire Hugh and and, and Brother uh, Bob Edwards. Uh, what were those guys like in their connecting days, Hap?
1: They pretty much stuck together. They were partners up, and they connected. I mean, we even uh, worked on the changing the curves on the Markham Bridge early '90s, and they were connecting on that job. Oh, really? All the curves are. Go, we used to go off to a stub, and it was going to go to the Mount Hood Freeway, and Goldschmidt was mayor. They decided to end that plan and put in the Mount Hood Freeway, and all the corridor they had bought up was all for nothing, and we ended up changing all the iron on that stub that shot out that direction to the southeast Portland, and turned it all into just a a curve on north and southbound lanes, kind of over OMSI, and that OMSI was being built at that time. Yeah started out on that job was uh, Stolte was a contractor and Don Craig was superintendent. And then Stolte got bought out by Denver Green. And that was about a two-year job. And we kind of had feuds going with the pile bucks and iron workers over who was going to do what. And that's kind of what caused the the feud with Don Craig ended up leaving and uh, Hottie ended up taking over okay. the superintendent. Lloyd Hottie ended up superintendent on that job to the finish.
0: Gotcha. What was uh what was the Hall's involvement? I mean, what was the the I guess who was the business manager at that time happen who was kinda of dealing with the, like all that stuff?
1: Uh see that was early nineties, so I think that was uh be Tom Worley, Billy Mitchell, Gordon Jensen. Okay. And then they went out of office about ninety two and Patty Berry came in when the job was kind of finishing. Okay. But yeah, I think uh actually Lloyd Hottie had worked on that building. The, the Markham Bridge in the 60s. And then like, say he was a superintendent on when he finished it up doing those curves in the early 90s. But they were, uh, you know, Stolte and Denver Green were pile buck contractors, so they tried to do it with pile bucks. And we ended up, iron workers did all the stuff. The pile bucks did some earthquake stuff, but mainly we got all that work that was under dispute
0: there. But. Gotcha. There was another dispute hap- that happened in, I believe, in the early '80s between the uh, the glazers and the ironworkers over uh, some curtain walls that they were doing on the U.S. Bank Tower. Do you do you remember that 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 dispute?
1: No, I don't remember that. I didn't get on that high rise. Okay. Yeah, I'm I- not sure just what the feud was. Probably something to do with the ornamental and all the window framing and that business
0: yeah I just it was kind of curious i knew that uh you know there was a dispute between the uh the two trades on something there and i just haven't ever been able to really find a, a great answer as to why um so you larry actually
1: Hottie might know something about that larry had done some ornamental and he was, was just bidges agent when patty berry was in there so you he actually got to work on the
0: bank tower hat were you uh weldon or were you uh, what gang were you in on that
1: I did work on the bank towers. I worked on the coin tower, and I worked on the 1,000 Broadway high-rise.
0: So have a question for you. That picture that's in the uh, the meeting or the union hall there, uh, the advertisement re- right at uh, behind uh, the podium there, do you know who, who the ironworkers are in that picture? I'm not sure who they are. Okay. I was wondering if that was the coin tower. That's why I asked you, uh, just because it was in that, uh, obviously, the point. But uh, um, that's obviously not it.
1: So uh, it could be uh, is that uh, a photo of uh, the convention center it,
0: it might be Hap. I guess it was just I, I just my mind I guess I just assumed that it was a coin tower just due to the the way the iron was positioned it was at a point so I was wondering if it was just uh um, it wasn't the the point wasn't completely um, uh, erected out so I was just wondering if that was uh, if you knew who were who were in that picture.
1: I'd have to look at it again. I think if it's the convention center, it would be uh, the Spires Air Action Steel did it with four frames that we set up on top of the guy, Derek. And I can remember it was myself, Neil Crocker, Pat Feeney, and I can't remember who the fourth guy is on that fourth on the coin tower. But I'm thinking I'd have to look at it again behind the podium at the hall. That may be the convention center.
0: Okay. Yeah, I actually got to, uh, uh, I went to. Uh, uh, it's Buck Johnson's uh, memorial a few months ago when he passed away, the owner of Action Steel. So you, did you get to work for Action Steel much, Hap?
1: Yeah, I worked for Action quite a bit. Did you? Yeah, they had a pretty steady crew there, and Chatfield ran a lot of work for them, and Ole Olson was a regular. And they had about 10, 15 guys were pretty much the regulars, but they stayed fairly steady through Reganomics. And then you know, whenever they had enough demand to call the hall for some more hands, you know, I worked with them several times on several jobs. You know, Action was a good outfit to work for.
0: So, did you actually? I mean, on the convention center hat, did you uh, like? I always heard that. Uh, not sure if it's true or not, but they they built the the spires are uh, the domes and bents, and 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 they set it as a bent. Is that true, or uh, am I? Uh, were you there, or do you know any information I wasn't there
1: on there when they did? I didn't work for Action on that convention center. I worked. On addition to the convention center later as a welder, so I'm not sure just the particulars of when they erected that. Okay. For action.
0: Yeah, I was just kind of curious. Uh, I always heard that uh, Lonnie uh, uh, Lottie Lonnie was uh, the raising gang uh, foreman on that, and he just he he built a bent and they set it, and I was just kind of wondering how that went. Um,
1: yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I wasn't there on that. Like at what
0: point through the '90s and stuff? When did you? Uh, what year did you retire, Hap?
1: I retired 2004.
0: 2004. So what was the 90s like for you?
1: 90s were pretty busy. Pretty busy? Yeah, there was a lot of stuff. Like say from the Markham Bridge, that was early 90s. Nike built that campus in Beaverton. Uh, work out at Intel. It was firing up, going pretty strong, and it's been going strong ever since out at Intel. And there were jobs, different paper mills, different sawmills, Eugene to Camas, down to Wana, Vancouver. And uh, there was uh, two or three different jobs down in Eugene. So when he had a job down there, University of Oregon had work down there, and there was quite a bit of stuff just scattered around the Willamette Valley area. You know, through the 90s, I think a uh, couple different jobs on some dams. I think I worked for Triad Larry Hottie around that. We were at Foster Dam, changing some wear plates and doing some upgrades on Foster Dam out a sweet home fish screening room on the John Day Dam up to Columbia. And I think they did some bridge deck work here on some grading, a couple of different bridges. I think uh, Briggs Bridge, Hood River Bridge, some other upgrades, you know, here and there.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Some maintenance, you know, fixing some of the old bridges up, some rigging. They changed some uh, cables on the lifting system there on some of the bridges
0: what was it like to work for uh like with larry hottie i just heard he was a a superb iron worker just a very knowledgeable um just great iron worker
1: he is yeah larry was good he was good as a hand good as a a foreman and good as a business agent assistant business agent yeah we came in together and then a few times i worked for him different contractors you know everything went pretty smooth he was organized
0: that's good stuff i've always heard that as well just i love getting the perspective of uh you know you always hear about a, a great ironworker and kind of always ask people that worked with them and around him, you know um their perspective as far as that but yeah hat for this evening i i just want to say thank you i appreciate you taking some time this evening to to talk about your uh your career i appreciate it sir thank you and have a great
2: night after my third year of Oregon State, okay, changed majors in three times, didn't know what I wanted to do, and then got into ironworking working again on permit, and then got in the apprenticeship. So, 71, my draft number was 76, so if it was under 150, you're generally going to get called that year without a deferment. Yeah. So, May 71, I got nailed. Here's the draft notice, and I went away on in the Army, Fort Ord, California, and it was a basic training, advanced infantry training, all right there at Fort Ord, and had a couple of weeks leave, Later in the summer, home and then uh, shipped out to Vietnam from the Oakland Army base. And, uh,
0: what was that like, Hat, that flight from California to uh, to Vietnam? I mean, what was like, the? I guess, the atmosphere on the airplane? I mean, was it a lot of nervousness, a lot of anxiety? What was it like?
2: Not too much. I mean, it was a 14-hour flight. We went from uh, Oakland to Yokota, Japan. Fuel. Fuel up there and then from Japan down to Tan Okay. In Vietnam where we landed and getting off that plane... 95 degrees and 95% humidity. It was uh, a shock. I, <laughs> Jungle.
0: I bet. So once you did get off the plane in Vietnam, Hap, where did, like, kinda, how did it work from there? Like, What did you find yourself doing?
2: Went to the 9th replacement battalion. From there, they would ship guys out to wherever you needed to go. And I got shipped off to 101st Airborne Division, which was up north, South Vietnam, North Vietnam, DMZ. And I was in Bravo Company, 1st of 327th Infantry. We were at Cap Eagle, Camp Evans, Firebase Jack, the ridgeline above Da Nang. So uh, I was an M60 machine gunner out of the bush.
0: Was it just crazy action the entire time, Hap? Like Actually, as soon not as.
2: because this was 71. Uh, okay. The hot action was late 60s. Okay. And they knew that the Americans were standing down going home. Okay. So they would just wait until we turned it over to the South Vietnamese Army and they would overrun them. Gotcha. So okay. The stuff we ran into was mainly squad size, platoon size firefight. And then once in a while, we get some incoming at a firebase somewhere. And we'd respond to it, you know, in mortars or whatever. Yeah, and did we you ever? Were all in and out of the bush by helicopter, by Huey helicopter.
0: What was that like? Hab going into a zone on a Huey ha- helicopter. I mean, obviously, I've seen movies of like the Vietnam era, like troops getting out that way. What was that like? What was that experience? Knowing that, like, you could see where your landing zone was.
2: Yeah, it was no big deal. I mean, no. just depending on how many guys you had going to whatever area, yeah, you get about a dozen guys in a helicopter, and then off you go, get down at an LZ, you can jump off. If you didn't, you had to rappel out of it. Okay. And then uh, you did whatever you did for however long, and then longer trips from one area to another, you'd take a Chinook helicopter. But most of it was a Huey uh one helicopters in and out of the bush
0: did you ever have an instance where you ha- were uh going into an lz um and then you had you know enemy fired i mean barreling down on you did never you ever did personally never had that I okay never
2: got shot at personally in a helicopter but.
0: how long before you were in vietnam before you like saw some action like you saw like you're really in the shit as soon
2: as we got it in the 101st okay um, like i say it was small squad platoon size firefights yep. hit and miss stuff or you know, we set up ambushes at night, claymore mines, whatever kind of booby traps we could invent. Maybe really? Somebody <laughs> coming through on a trail at night, you might not, and then you had to dismantle it the next morning. If you couldn't remember just how you did it, yeah. throw a fry out there and then blow it in place so the, nobody else would come by, you know, incidentally in, in a GI.
0: Being in Vietnam, you know, you said that, uh, you know, like I said, I've seen the movies and stuff about, like, the conditions out in the jungle. What was it, like? As somebody who was actually in those jungles in Vietnam, what was that like, Hap? Like bugs and um, plants that may, you know, be poisonous or whatever. What was that like for you?
2: Stuff would sting you, bite you. Yeah. A lot of cockroaches, rats, snakes. I uh, mean, it was hot, humid jungle. Uh, I mean, did it rain quite a bit, shedding, Yeah, you got rained on in the rainy season. Yeah. And it was heavy. A couple of ponchos, make a tube tent out of it, a poncho liner maybe. You're wet all the time, pretty much. And then you just do whatever you had to do, you know, and just... It's,
0: yeah. How 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 long would a typical mission be? Like if you go out into the bush, how long would you be out before you like get to the next place? It is all dependent. A week, it okay. Might
2: be a month, okay. Dependent on the outfit. Yeah, I mean, some of them were just a day out back to a fire base, day out somewhere else back to the firebase. Other ones you'd be out longer.
0: Were you in shape, Pat, for like for uh, carrying a a, a ruck pack for for days at a time? I mean, well, yeah,
2: you, you got in shape when you got through basic it, and AIT. Yeah, I mean, okay. you, you were a physical training. You were,
0: What would you say a, a a a pack would would weigh? Like when you got to Vietnam, what was your pack weighing?
2: You're carrying a hundred pounds worth of stuff.
0: Hundred pounds. Wow. An
2: M60 machine gun weighed twenty five pounds, and you got a couple of battle dam over your shoulders or on your waist. Claymore mines, grenades, whatever food you brought along. Sea rashes, freeze dried food in your pack so you're humping about 100 pounds worth of stuff
0: how long i guess how long would you guys hunt before you would actually um sit down and maybe take a breather was that i mean just depending on how thick it was okay
2: get a short guy walking point you know and a guy my size coming behind well, had a little more action yeah machete <laughs> had through the hole he cut well you're just stumbling stumble around thrashing around in the jungle however you can get through it some uphill some downhill
0: um. So I guess what was the craziest in in your time in in Vietnam, Hap? What was like the the like the craziest experience that you had when you were there?
2: Oh, I don't know if any of them were too crazy, but I mean, some were good experiences, yeah. Some were bad experiences. We'd come out of the bush every now and then. Okay, well, you had some good party time in a yeah. area or in a fire base. Okay. And one time we were out in the bush for about a month, and we came back to. The South China Sea at Vung Tau. So we partied up, drank beer, and chased horse for three days and then back out (laughs) to the bush. So that was a good time, good experience. Yeah. Other times, we get incoming fire at night at the fire base. Mortar rounds going off, and you didn't have any idea where they're coming from. We had Kong or NVA, and so it was just, you didn't really know what was coming from what direction a lot of times.
0: What was it like being an American? Like when you guys did have, when you were able to go out into, into the town, what was it like for the soldiers? Was there, uh, were you guys celebrated or were you guys looked down upon? Like how was being an American soldier in those towns at that time?
2: Small villages, generally we had pretty good relations with people. In my experience, we didn't get into a lot of villages. There outfits that did. And then in the rear areas, you know, they had EM club where you could go drink some beer and they had, you dancing, whatever you know when you're yeah, out of the fire base, but in the rear area more established. Everybody got along pretty good with the South Vietnamese and the Americans, the GIs, plenty of party girls and yeah, <laughs> I that, drinking.
0: <laughs> I, I can only imagine have I mean, I've like seen the movies and I've talked to some other people um who's who had family or their dad went to Vietnam and kind of said, said the same thing yeah. as you did. Did you get homesick uh how long were you there for a while? Did you get homesick, or were you ready to go right off the bat, or did you enjoy your experience? How was it for you?
2: It was an adventure. I wouldn't say an excellent adventure. Yeah. But I got drafted up here. Well, I'm not cutting and running to Canada. I'm going to do my time, do the best job I can when I'm in there. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, we did our job. And I went a couple of different outfits after the 101st. They stood down and went home. Bob Hope was there. Friday, oh, really? Christmas, yeah. And we were the one company that had to spend the time out on the helicopter pad in case we got incoming, so we never saw the show. Oh, really? <laughs> and hundred first stood down, went home, I got transferred down south to the first cavalry division, Delta Company, second Cambodian border, higher base Gibraltar. They stood down, went home, I got transferred to Charlie Company, first the seventh cavalry, more around Ben Hoa, closer to closer to Saigon, and then uh, finally got enough time in country where I got out of there, you know, closer to a year, less than a year when I had enough time. Pretty much the same stuff everywhere I went. I mean it was out in the bush. Yeah. Checking a road to a village for mines tearing down a fire base that we were turning country back over to South of Vietnamese. So we wouldn't leave anything for Viet Cong or the NBA. We would demolish it, blowing up stuff with C4 and whatever else just to get rid of it as we left.
0: So at, at what point happened, like when it was time to, obviously you, they made you aware that you'd, you'd be going home soon, right? Were you obviously you were, were you waiting for that? Those orders like, Hey, my, uh, my tour duty in Vietnam is coming yeah. to an end.
2: Everybody knew how much time they had to go yeah i bet you know you get short we call it okay the closer you are to get the year year and okay guys would be hollering short when they're getting you know month weeks whatever either. they would they'd make it known oh yeah i mean everybody yeah. knew when their gotcha when their time was to get out of there
0: so when it was your uh your your year was up um what was that like coming back home
2: it was cool i mean everybody was cheering when we got on the battle yeah yeah and we flew back from vietnam to SeaTac Airport, just because okay. of the fuel, had to gas up there, and then from there we went down to Travis Air Force Base in the Bay Area, California, and we all bailed off the plane there, and then whatever directions we went. You know, I headed for home. Actually, my brother lived in the Bay Area, so I went to his place first, spent a few days, and then came home back up to Portland. The army down Fort Hood, Texas with a hundred with a first cavalry division.
0: So you finished your time out in 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 Texas. Have, did yep. you did they ask you? Did you ever consider staying in there? Or did you know? Did You want to get back to the iron workers?
2: They wanted everybody to stay to re up. Nope, I'm an iron worker. Yeah, I'm going back to the iron workers, do my time. You know, I had two years active duty, then you had two years in active duty, two years more of reserve. But I didn't get called back for that after I had my two years active duty. I didn't get bothered again by the army.
0: Gotcha. And then I picked
2: up an apprenticeship where I left off. Yeah,
0: so that's kind of what I was going to ask. You had you went to the aluminum plant, right? When you
2: got back from not from Vietnam, it was over. So when I got okay. back, it was 73. So then I finished up. Classes that could say they had changed to one month straight, eight hours a day. And then I think when I got done with my apprenticeship, 75, got my book, went to work at Hinkle, Simplot's bud plant out there. And there was uh, Lost Creek Dam in Shady Cove on the Rogue River at that time. The Peyton Bridge was going down there. And a little bit after that, there was the Applegate Dam. And then uh, later in 76, Hell's Canyon with the Brownlee Dam, the Fifth turbine, and uh, the job, Eastern Oregon Durkee
0: so you so, enjoyed doing those types of jobs, have? Yeah. Because I mean, when we talked last night, and uh, you know, you, you spoke a lot, or you talked about that you were on quite a bit of those dam jobs up and down the Columbia and then uh, elsewhere, right?
2: Actually, some work on the John Day Dam, Brownlee Dam, Lost Creek Dam. Worked on the intake and the spillway. So that was about it for me for dams. Okay, dams. A lot of guys worked on Bonneville Dam on the north side of Bonneville. I never got on that job.
0: The I two hundred five bridge here, Hap, was that was that going? Were you able to work
2: on that? Or yeah, were- I worked for Mercer on some of the overpasses around Foster Road, and then later I worked for Judson Steel on some of the overpasses a little bit farther north. And we did the first two piers on the Washington Shore, and that was kind of the end of my rod busting there. Outside of doing some slip forms in Durkee in the uh, fall of seventy seven, I think that was my last rods.
0: Were you around, Hap, when? Uh- Not sure. I mean, I've always heard, uh, you know, that there was a tower crane that had gone over on that project. Uh, Were you around at that time or was that after you left?
2: I was actually on my way home on a plane from Boise to Portland. Okay. And the wind was blowing so hard, that plane was crabbing into the runway coming into Portland. And that night, that tower crane went down
0: the 205
2: bridge It installed the anchor bolts and whatever when they set that tower. It tore him out of there, and that whole wow. tire crane went down that night. Nobody got hurt, but it wiped out that tower crane that night. And I had just flown in past that, <sighs> coming into there. It was really blowing that that evening.
0: I bet, I bet. I mean, even probably even working out there at, at times, hab. I can only imagine. I've you know drove over the bridge many times, and that wind is just howling through there. So I yeah, can imagine, like way. maybe setting a, a, a case on or a splice or something. You know, yeah. that wind just blowing.
2: Yeah, and a lot of different guys worked on that bridge. I didn't work on anything except those two piers on, yeah. the, on the northern shore.
0: Kind of after that, hap, uh, where did you find yourself um, going from there? I mean, that was like the early 80s, right? Or was that the mid-80s?
2: Late 70s. Late 70s? Okay. Let's say Durkee kind of was a big change. That was fall of 77 to the spring of 80. There were bus rods on a slip form, And then I stayed there as ironworker steward, and there were a lot of different varieties of ironwork on that job. They hired all the trays except the electricians were a subcontractor. So there were... Preheat tower, there were conveyors, structural steel, hoppers, tanks, all varieties, busted rods. There was all varieties of ironwork on that job. So it was a good one for experience. We had a steward's meeting every week with Hoffman and all the other trades. We'd iron things out. Once a week, so we didn't have a whole lot of disputes on whose work was jurisdictionally belonging to who and there and this and that.
0: How was that for you, Hap, on the jurisdictional side, you know, being a steward in in those days? You know what I mean? Um, I I think it's a lot different nowadays, but uh, back in those days, things were done differently. You know, I've I've talked to guys like John Peters. You know, he would be a steward, and, you know, uh, he told me about how he would do things, you know, if somebody was doing our work. Uh, What was your experience being a steward in those, uh, you know, like in the mid-70s and, you know, early 80s?
2: It's pretty much, well, you get an argument out on, on the job. Okay, well, we get in the office, and we just try to iron it out, like I yeah. say with Hoffman once a week, provision and all the stewards. And what was coming up, we say, Okay, who's putting the crane together? And an Iron will say, Well, we're not going to deal with the crane that the fitters have put together or the maker. Yes, we'll do the crane changes. And Hoffman agreed to that. Yeah, the other iron will do the ball, you know, boom yes. changes. And then, uh, Mill Rice were always a feud, okay, whatever their perception of precedent was yeah. compared to what ours was we were always fighting with the millwrights over different stuff with a kiln with any kind of rollers and machinery and the conveyors so it was always a fight with the millwrights yeah. we were just in each other's faces all the time but we tried to iron yeah. it out once a week keep the job moving smooth
0: yeah i talked to uh brother leroy worley uh, a few months ago and he said he said when he was uh, a business manager here at local 29 the millwrights were the ones he had the biggest issues and the biggest problems with and it's yeah. now that you said it kind of makes sense.
2: Yeah, he was business agent at that time, was on that job. Oh, really? I'd send in a steward report once a month yeah. or once a week. They might read them, you know, and meetings were twice a month then. Okay. But I'd send a report in every week. And then it was always call the hall about something, some feud. But it's just the way it was. I mean, the mill rights were cheaper in wages than the iron workers, so they'd try to get away with doing rights stuff. We got through it, but, I mean, it was ever since, it's always been a feud with rights, especially at paper mills, aluminum plants, anywhere yeah. there's machinery, and any kind of rollers and conveyors. It's all been a feud with the mill rights,
0: Absolutely. I, it still happens to this day. I've been on some of the jobs out in Eastern Oregon. and
2: Generally, I, the contractors, they'll be a carpenter contractor, pile buck mill rights, and it's cheaper labor yes. for them to hire those trades than it is to hire ironworkers. It might not be uh, that much work, so okay, we'll use our own guys instead of hiring ironworkers for a couple of days to do this work, even though it would be our work. Was the labor temple still around at that time, Hap? We had just moved out of the Labor Temple when I came in in '70. We we're at the Labor Center.
0: Okay, Labor Second Center, Arthur. Okay,
2: and every trade was pretty much in that location. Had the union meetings down there. Did
0: and they have? They had a bar there as well, right?
2: Upstairs and downstairs. yeah. Okay.
0: so you guys could I, you could bullshit with other tradesmen at, at that as well, right? Oh, yeah. Is that kind of how it worked?
2: Yeah, I mean, business agents would get together, with other business agents in the bar there. Yeah, or you know, union meetings. You'll, To the one, you know, a couple of different bars in there. Yeah. Hash things out, whatever. And then uh, after that went away, then we moved out to 122nd Market for the office and we had our meetings at the Bar Hall on Powell. Oh, really? And then from there, we had our own place at 67th and Foster where we do the meetings and and all our stuff.
0: so when you first when you got back from Vietnam happened you started were you pretty active going into union meetings at your yeah. in pretty much your entire career what yep. was it like in those like like the seventies and eighties and stuff like union meetings was there a big turnout for people um, wanting to be uh, aware of what was going on in our oh, local yeah
2: everybody's all in, like see meetings were twice a month They're yeah and like fourth Fridays yeah. And there was all the bars somewhere close and I be getting good and drunk because was yeah. all known for hard drinking. <laughs> yeah. And they'd be arguing who ran in the meat raise at hell. Yes. You know, so if you're calm, you yeah. know, and once in a while, way well, hey, somebody have to get thrown out of the meat for yeah. just being too rowdy. <laughs> but there was all disputes on the job and they'd bring it up, give the business aid and all kind of trouble on their report.
0: I could picture, uh Mike, some you know, some arguing, uh some arguing obviously. Was there was there times obviously when there was some physical, uh, some physical things going on when people? I bet. I, right. yep. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: I can only imagine. Uh, well, you I know, Iron remember One
2: time when I was uh, sergeant arms and Chuck Starker was the president of running the meat, and Arvis Bacon he was a oh, pretty shit. tough character. He yeah. got up and was raising the hell about something. And Starker said, "Remove that man from the meeting. now that oh, No man, this is going to be bad. Oh shit! He tried yeah. to calm down. <laughs> Everything was okay, but he was. Pretty ordinary character. Right
0: uh, I bet. Yeah. I've heard uh, there was quite a bit of those uh, back in the day, uh, but that was just like, to me, that's just being an iron worker. You know what I mean? That's just yeah. our mentality. We kind of have that gruffness. And um, I, you know, back in those days uh, you know, I've met quite a few, you know, doing this, I've been able to talk to guys like you and, you know, yeah. a lot of our retirees and our, to me, I wish I could at least experience that because it, obviously it was a different time to be an iron worker and just, seeing all the stuff that you guys did in those days and what it was like to be an iron worker in those days, you know, especially the, the, the safety hap, um, what was it like for you when they started implementing, you know, wearing a safety harness and that, I always heard that American bridge, you always had your pigtail and that, you know, I always heard that they would make you tie off if you were stationary at a point for a while. What was it like when, uh, ocean all that started implementing wearing a safety harness in a lanyard and being a hundred percent tied off. What was that like?
2: It took more time, more of a pain in the ass. Yeah. I mean you used to be you had a lanyard, you felt like tying off tie off, you Yes. you yeah. you're in a real scary spot, okay, tie off, otherwise you just walked the iron, didn't bother tying off, and then when you had to wear the harness and the yo-yos and all that business, then it just got to be more yeah of a obviously pain, there more was a, trouble, yeah more time.
0: a lot of a lot of pushback, I would assume, um, and that's kind of like it what just the
2: way it was you know yeah I mean, uh, change changes came, and that yeah, you got to do it, you know, yeah, it's just social regulations and yep. Yeah, you didn't used to have to deal with it, just if you felt like it, you know. you know, And not too scared to get in anywhere. Yeah. Like I say, unless the wind was blowing sideways really hard or yes. had any icy conditions or something like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was talking, I talked to John Peters, and, like, to be an iron worker back in those days, and it's, you had to be a different type of person back in those days. Like, the agility, like you said, if you're out there on a bridge and it's windier than shit in the Columbia, and you're walking the bottom cord or the top cord, you know, uh, I've heard stories of like Brother Terry Vertel said he he was up on the the top court of the bridge and he slipped and he was up there by himself and he didn't let anybody know you know what I mean it's that that kind of stuff right yeah uh. if it
2: got scary well get off the top yeah. court and yeah, coon the exactly. bottom plans. <laughs> yeah a little safer than absolutely hang on with your feet and hang on with your hands I did what you felt you were safe doing you know
0: yeah absolutely working through the 80s and then getting into the 90s and stuff. When did you really start thinking about, uh, you know, I wanted to retire and start enjoying uh, the fruits of my labor from doing this?
2: Probably the last three or four years, early 2000s. It was, okay, yeah, I've done this for 30 years. And just start thinking about, well, how much time do I have in? Do I have enough years to do it? Then, yeah, well, I mean, I like the trade. I love it, the brotherhood. But just might as well retire out and then just say, hey, i got years to go here before I get stove up. Yeah, enjoy your... 35 it, years and bail out, yeah. Yeah.
0: So... You, you started thinking about retirement. Uh, what was that uh, What was that last day like for you when you know that was it? You know what I mean? Who were you working for when you finally said uh, uh, pulled the pin?
2: Well, I worked for Jason Fussell. Okay. And Dave Lane was working with us. We were doing some Bonneville gates at Port of Vancouver. They had fabricated them at Fab Product Shop, and they weren't strong enough. And they sent them back down the river, and we were putting stiffeners in there and beefing them all up and get them done, well, dual shield wire, and then they were going to ship them back up there for doing what they were going to do with them. And then, time we got done with that that last afternoon, I stopped at the hall on the way home and signed up my retirement papers. And
0: that was it, huh? That
2: was it, yeah. I was okay. Get on a motorcycle, and
0: did, so did you just know, Hap? I mean, like, like, did you ever have any regrets? Like, you know, maybe weeks or months after you you signed your paperwork, was it Not like really? No,
2: no. I collected unemployment until my pension started. Yeah, that summer, and just yeah, you I know, still go to union meetings, go to retiree lunches. Started going regular yeah, lunches. Absolutely. Kept in touch with everybody. Kept in touch with the hall. I mean, the only time I haven't been to a lot of meetings now is with the plague just the last two, three years. So I always went to meetings.
0: Now that you've been retired, and like, what would you say to somebody who's uh – who's wanting to become an iron worker and, you know, like now you have, you're earning the fruits of your labor from working iron for 35 years. What would you say to somebody who's uh, maybe a high school kid or um, somebody who's non-union right now that may want to uh, become an iron worker? What would you say to them?
2: Wages are good and non-union wages may be good, but you don't have the health insurance and the retirement that the union does. Yeah. And it's a better brotherhood than any of the other building trades. Yeah. All the other craft don't have the brotherhood, the camaraderie that ironworkers do. I mean, I wear an ironworker sticker on my hard hat on my motorcycle. Absolutely. Not in the back window of my van. And it just it's a brotherhood that stays with you forever.
0: And ironworkers are super. Ha, yes, that's what I was just getting ready yeah. to say. It ha-
2: it's hard work. I yeah. mean, you got to be willing to do manual labor, and a lot yeah. of people don't want to do it these days. Yeah, there are other trades that are easier manual labor, like electricians or pipe fitters. Yes, but the brotherhood is tied with an ironworker.
0: Absolutely. I, I kind of ha- I knew your has for some reason I knew you were going to say that, but that is so one hundred percent true. Ironworkers uh, is just there's. There's nothing that can compare to it. Our pride is just super prideful. Uh, And that's what I love about this trade. Um, And then just meeting people like you and then just all like, you know, people like John Peters or Jack Cole or uh, Ron McDowell, just those people that that came before us and learning from you guys um, is what I love about doing this as well. Well, Um, And then just to kind of close this out, the, the question I always typically ask, you know, a retiree is like, what did you love most about being an ironworker?
2: Being outdoors and seeing different jobs all the time, you're not stuck in the same place looking at the same thing. You're always getting some new work, something different, place different. With all the variety, a change of people, a change of scenery, doing the same thing, really, you know, the same trade. But, I mean, you're always mixing and matching with yeah. different people, different jobs all over all over the place.
0: And that's one of the things I love, too, Hap, is like the freedom you have as a journeyman. Uh, you know, we're able to to go wherever the work is. You know yeah. what I mean? We're not stuck in one place. Yeah. Um, And if we don't like a particular job, you can always drag up and go to another one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I said, Uh, I'd never drag up my finish job or take a layoff,
2: (laughs) but that would just be, that was my ethics Yes, and move on to whatever the next one was.
0: Absolutely. Happened. And and then just finally happen. If there's a message that you'd like to say to the audience, uh, I would appreciate that.
2: Well, uh, do good work wherever you go. Use good judgment and don't get to partying too hard. I mean, most iron workers were hard parties. I did it. I quit drinking in 1982, and I don't have near as many <laughs> problems. Sober, you're feeling better on the job. There's always something to take care of stress, whatever. You don't have to get wiped out to take care of the stress.
0: Absolutely. Um, and then, uh, like I said, Hap, I appreciate your time, sir. Um, thank you for coming down, and I think a lot of people are going to enjoy this one. So right. I appreciate it, sir.
2: Every day Saturday now.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Have a good one. Yep. All right, that's a wrap on this episode. Please check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Chasing the Hook Podcast, where you can find a link to every episode. Also, leave us a review on Apple and Spotify to let us know how we're doing. With that being said, brothers and sisters, hope you enjoy and be safe.